Hello, you're listening to the Sydney Writers Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name is Valerie Koo and you can find us online at sydneywriterscentre.com.au. We're Australia's leading writing centre and you'll find a wealth of resources on our website and blog, including interviews with authors, writing tips and valuable ideas on how to get published. Whether you're interested in writing a novel, short story or articles for magazines, you'll find information and courses to help you get there. Or if you want to hone your business writing skills, we can help you too. Our presenters are the best in the industry. We hope you enjoy today's podcast. In 2002, while living in a small town in Western Australia, Sally Murphy made the decision to fulfil her dream of becoming a children's author. Since then, she has published 30 books and has been shortlisted for the Children's Book Council of Australia Awards, among others. Her latest book is Toppling, an illustrated verse novel about childhood illness. Some of her most loved children's fiction books are The Floatingest Frog, Pembethy Bear and Snowy's Christmas. In 2009, Pearl vs. the World was released to rave reviews. It was shortlisted for the Queensland Premier's Literary Awards and was named a notable book and shortlisted for the CBCA Book of the Year Award and won the children's category in the Indie Awards as well as being shortlisted for their Book of the Year Award. Sally has worked as a teacher and is also a book reviewer. She runs the website aussiereviews.com which features reviews of Australian books for children, young adults and adults. Thanks for joining us today, Sally. My pleasure, Valerie. Okay, so you've got an interesting story because you decided apparently in 2002 that you wanted to become a writer. Can you tell us a little bit about what you were doing at the time and and how this epiphany came about? Well, I'd really always wanted to write and I can remember... uh, trying to write stories in, on a rainbow pad in my mum's office, really, before I even actually could form letters. So, you know, I was very small. And right through my childhood, when I started to realise that people actually wrote books, I always thought, that's what I want to do. So I was always very determined to do it. Mm. And I actually started writing a long time before 2002. Pretty much from the time I left school, I was trying to get published, although not necessarily writing and submitting every day. Mm. And uh, I actually had my first book accepted in 1996, and it was an educational book. And over the next uh, several years, I did have more of those published. But in 2002, we moved to a little country town, and my husband worked there, so we were there for his for his reasons. Mm-hmm. And I only had one child at home at the time, and I thought, what am I going to do with myself? And I hadn't ever really done what I wanted to do, which was to write fiction. Mm. And I thought, gee, the reason I'm not making it here is because I'm doing too many other things with my life mm. and allowing myself to try to do too many things. And when what I really wanted to be doing was writing for children. So I set myself the goal of making that the year that I actually had something accepted and it worked. <laughs> Wonderful. But what did you do in terms of discipline Did at the time? Did you decide I'm going to make myself sit down and uh, every day for X number of hours or how did you actually make it happen? I, yeah, I did sit myself down every day. I put as much time into it as I possibly could. I laugh now because I actually at the time had uh, a one-year-old child mm. and I'm actually a mother of six so it, <gasps> I say that I put my whole time into it but I obviously didn't but I put as much time into it as I could 
I removed uh, as many unnecessary things from my life and my time as I could and you know, stopped distracting myself with things that I didn't weren't high priority. Mm. And I became a bit of a recluse mm. and I wrote. And I also, I actually got proactive. I joined a critique group online Mm. And I learned to really listen to feedback from other children's writers. Most of those were actually based overseas, mm. which is the wonder of the internet. Mm. Um, I also became active in online groups, not not just critique groups, but email groups where I could share information and listen to information. And I started researching markets. And the acceptances I had that first year came directly from doing those things and finding specific opportunities and then writing and submitting manuscripts that met the guidelines of those projects. Mm. And that especially the first books that I had accepted were for reading series. Mm. And so I'd found the guidelines for those particular reading series. I'd written books that fitted those series and submitted and got them accepted. And it was the same with my first trade book, which was with Banana Books. They had a very specific brief for a series and I wrote a book that fitted that series. So... So in the, in those cases, you specifically wrote for exactly what they wanted? Yes. I mean, there is a little bit, obviously, of trial and error mm. because you think you know what someone wants. And if there's a set of guidelines, they don't actually want you to write a book that's already been written for that series. You've got to come up with something mm. new. Mm. But if there's specific word banks, if there's specific themes, if there's no-go areas, if uh, if it's for the educational market, then obviously it's got to meet the requirements of age or reading level. So there, there is, I suppose, an element of guesswork and an element of actually listening to what publishers want and mm. doing that as well. So tell us about your first acceptance then. Do you remember what you were doing at the time when you found out? Um, how, how did that go? Yes, um, well, my first non-fiction acceptance, I was about seven months pregnant. That was my first educational book back right. in 1996. Mm-hmm. And I nearly sent myself into labour jumping around the kitchen. <laughs> and then you know, when my first fiction books were accepted uh, in 2002, uh, I drank champagne and I ran around town and told everybody. And oh. yeah, it was, it was a really amazing feeling uh, after years of trying to do it or mm. dreaming about doing it mm. to actually find out that someone actually liked my work enough to put my name on the front cover. Mm. That was just incredible. Did you always think it was going to happen and that it was just a matter of time? I always hoped it was going to happen, but I suppose like a lot of writers, when I started writing, I thought that I was just so good and so clever <laughs> that I'd write these stories and there was a publisher sitting there at the other end of the mail process who was going to open these stories and go oh yes she's so clever we'll you know we'll publish 20 of those (laughs) and by the time I was accepted I'd figured out that 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 was not going to happen that obviously there were a lot of rejections before Mm. I got an acceptance so I didn't give up ever give up permanently but there were lots of times along the way where I felt like giving up or where I'd stopped submitting for a while because it just was too painful. Mm. Uh, but but I'd kept coming back to it because I was actually, I can't not write. Yes. And so if you can cast your mind back, just to give people an idea, you said you did it, for, you, you, you sat down and wrote um, as much as you could. But what does that translate to on a practical level in hours per day? Was it like one hour or 10 hours? You know, what did you really do? At the time, it was probably an hour or two of writing a day, and it was when my child was asleep, the one that was still at home. 
So it wasn't hours and hours, but I've also, uh, back then I only tended to write shorter things. So I tended to write in bursts and I actually did write when the kids were around. So if I had something I wanted to write, I'd sit at the kitchen table and write. And I actually used to do a lot of writing longhand back in those days, whereas now I refuse to do that if I can help it (laughs) because it hurts my hand. Um, So I didn't have six, eight, ten hours to write. Mm. And I'm also never been a person who can stay up late writing. Right. So it was because I just I need my sleep. I think because I've had so many children, <laughs> um, sleep is really important to me. Mm. So back in those days, it was really yeah when when the kids were asleep, and I also had to be quite disciplined in saying even if he has his afternoon nap and I've got housework to do or you know something else to do, the writing was coming first. I was really giving it a priority. Mm. Mm. And you write for children. Tell us what do you find so appealing about writing for children? Why do you want to write for children? (laughs) (laughs) And what age group do you write for? Um, Well, what appeals to me is everything. Mm. Uh, Okay. (laughs) I really remember the magic that books gave me when I was a child. And Mm. a lot of my earliest memories are about books and about being read to, about discovering books for myself and I still get that thrill out of reading a good children's book. I still pick up a book and, you know, it, it just makes me tingle if it's done well. Mm. And I, that's what I was always going to write. So when I was a child, I was going to write kids' books because that's what I was reading. Mm. And in high school, I still liked kids' books and I knew that I was a little bit odd because <laughs> of that. Like I was still reading, not, I read a lot of teenage fiction, obviously, but I was still enjoying those books from my childhood mm. and you know, when I was an adult it was just a natural thing I, I've always thought that I would write for children and I haven't ever discounted possibly also writing for adults but writing for kids is what I've always loved to do mm. as for age groups um, I initially always thought that I only wanted to write picture books mm. and I think as I read more and more good fiction for older children as well I still am really passionate about good picture books, mm. but I'm writing also for primary age readers. And my actual current project is actually for young adults, which is a bit of a challenge I've set myself because I mm. thought I'm doing well for that age group, but I also have teenagers in my own life. Mm. And this story came to me and I thought, well, I'm going to have a go at that. And I have to me, I'm finding it challenging. It's not going to be my best book ever. Right. <laughs> and it's, it's certainly one of my most challenging projects in terms of rewriting and getting it right. Mm. So I write for all age groups, really. But I suppose my published works have been picture books for early childhood mm. and uh, middle and upper primary for my verse novels. So young adult is very different to picture books. Do you have to, what do you do to switch gears? Do you, you know, do you have to um, get yourself in a different frame of mind or what happens there? It's, I'm finding it really different in terms of when I write for younger children, I tend to actually have the stories actually worked out in my head, particularly with picture books. Like a picture book might be in my head for weeks before I actually sit down and write the words because mm. I actually get it right. I think about it. I play with words in my head. And then when the story is ready to be written, I write it. Um, and with my verse novels, not quite the same, but again, parts of it form and then I write them. With a young adult novel, I actually had a challenge in actually trying to work out yeah, there's too much to do that all in your head. Mm. And I actually started very specifically with, with an image and a situation that this teenage girl was in. And then I started, I did play around in my head a lot with 
what about the other characters? Where are they at? Uh, where's it going to lead? And then I, when I wrote my first draft, in a way, that was my thinking time. My first draft, when I finished it, was it's too short, it's not developed enough, but I now have, like, I suppose, an outline or a skeleton of, of the book. And now in the rewriting process, I'm... I'm making it better. <laughs> um, you talk about remembering the books from your childhood that made you tingle. What does a book need to do to make you tingle? I think there's there's a mix of of magic, and I don't mean that it has to be fantasy, although I like fantasy. Mm. But but there's magic in that it works. It's uh, believable. You can put yourself into that book, mm. and I also a really firm believer that that books have to offer some form of hope. Mm. And I don't necessarily believe that every book has to be happy, touchy feeling and everyone lives happily ever after. Mm. But I actually think kids uh, need to know that the world can be okay. Mm. And so I suppose a book that makes me makes me feel good uh, in in its rightness. So like I, my verse novels, for example, I think they're very sad and they make me cry. Mm. But I also... What I'm trying to do is actually show that, yeah, life can be hard and life can make you cry, but there can still be good stuff in it. Mm. And I suppose that's that's what I like in a book mm. is that it can bring out all those emotions, but in the end I know that there's hope. So not that everyone lives happily ever after, but that, mm. that there's a way forward. So tell us about your latest release, Toppling, and about the themes you've chosen to write about in that. Okay. Toppling is it's a verse novel for upper primary aged readers, so 10 and up, I suppose. It's a book about friendship and it's about what it's like to watch a friend battle a life-threatening illness. So John, who's the main character, he's a 12-year-old boy. He's in his last year of primary school. He's got a really good, strong friendship group of, of mates and he's got a particular best friend, Dominic. And then one day Dominic gets sick and goes home from school, and then he doesn't come back to school. And eventually John discovers that Dominic has cancer. Mm-hmm. And so John and his other friends, they then struggle with how to support their, their mate and how to be there for him, spend time with him, uh, understand what he's going through, and yet they still carry on with their own lives. And how do you balance that? Mm-hmm. And it's I think it's quite a tricky situation and I know it's one that lots of kids find themselves in, whether it's cancer or whether it's a child at school whose mum might die or uh, you know, a marriage breakup or whatever, that kids find themselves in a situation where they've got a friend going through something and then they have to work out how they deal with their friends' problems as mm. well as whatever life's throwing at them. What made you decide to tackle that idea? Um, I've actually had experience of, of being that person, of being the, the supporting person. I've had a, a sister with cancer and a sister-in-law with cancer. Mm. And so, and that was several years ago. So it wasn't like I sort of thought, great, I'm going to write this book about them. Mm. Um, but, I, but I'd long thought about what it's like and that, that, that process that you go through. And also have, having seen kids go through situations like that. And I thought, there's a story there. Mm. But in the end... The story that came to me was actually there was a child who liked playing with dominoes and he lines them up and he topples them over. Mm. And, and I knew that he had a friend in his life who had something wrong. And it actually, so that was actually where the image came from. And then that story from my past came into, into play, I suppose. Mm. And 
it it was written. What do you think the most challenging for thing for you as a children's writer? The most challenging thing. I actually still think it's getting published. Right. <laughs> and I know, like I look, my number now, I've had 30 books accepted and I've got a really good relationship, <laughs> particularly with Walker Books, who have published my two verse novels. And yet I still have to write the book and then find a publisher. Um, I still get rejections. I still have to make sure that I actually know that I'm writing. Uh, so... I don't actually write always thinking this publisher is going to publish this book, but mm. I still need to make sure that I'm writing things that are marketable, mm. that, have got, that are going to have a place. Although sometimes I just write a story because it has to be written and then I worry about that later. But there is still that need to be on top of the market and, and know that not everything I write will be published. Mm. And rejections really hurt. And they, they, they hurt less, I suppose, when you know that you've had some acceptances. Mm. But it is it is a hard, hard market, and I think some people make the mistake of thinking writing for children will somehow be easier, <laughs> uh, easier to get published, easier to actually do the writing. And mm. I don't write for kids because it's easy. I write for kids because I like to write for kids. Mm. You mentioned about really knowing the market. Do you read a lot of other children's books, other other authors? I do. I read I read hundreds of books. Uh, I'm sort of fortunate because I'm a book reviewer, so I actually mm. get a lot of new release books coming across my desk every day. Mm. Um, and I really think that has made a huge difference to both my writing and to that, that knowledge of the market. Mm. That I've, And I really am passionate that if you want to write for any market, that you have to read books in that market. Mm. And I hear some people say, oh, I don't want to read kids' books because then I might accidentally copy them. Yeah, I know. Uh, I hear that a lot. Or, you know, I don't, I, I want to write romance, but I hate reading it. Well, if you're <laughs> not reading it and not enjoying it, mm. then I don't think that you can actually write it because I think that that will come across in some way in your writing because you're, in a way, sort of parodying the market. If you're not actually reading it, you're only writing what you think it is rather than what it actually is. Mm. So, yes, I do read a lot. So tell us about the book review site. When did you start that and why? Um, I started it, I think, in late 2000 or early 2001. I have to admit I'm a little bit hazy with dates. I'm, <laughs> I'm not a dates person. But it's it's a real labour of love and when I first got onto the internet, and it was all fairly new in my life, and I looked around, and I was very aware that here was an opportunity to find out about writing and also to to do some writing online. Um, and I looked around, and there were lots of websites springing up that were reviewing books. Mm. Often, again, I go back to romance, there was a lot of specific romance sites, and I think romance writers actually got caught on to the whole internet thing a lot quicker than other genres, although fantasy and sci-fi as well, I suppose. And um, there were all these websites reviewing books, but there wasn't any that focused on Australian books, and there are actually very few reviewing any Australian books. Mm. And there was a, a company, it was called Webseed, that uh, set up free websites, and if you told them what you wanted to write about, and I think that, that their idea was they would make money by putting advertisements on them. So I applied to set up a site called Aussie Reviews. They accepted me. So they uh, paid for the domain name and actually set up the structure of the website. Mm -hmm. And I started reviewing books. Mm. And then their business model actually failed 
uh, within a couple of years. It might have been a year or so. And they actually then put the domain names up for sale to the people who'd been writing on them. All right. And so I bought the domain name and had to find out very quickly some extra things about HTML yes. and um, having web hosting and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And so I bought it and thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I've been doing this for a while. I'm going to keep doing it. And it's just grown and grown. And I've reviewed either myself or other people have reviewed over 2,000 books on the site. Mm. And for a long time, it was, I think, the only site sort of dedicated to reviewing Australian books. Mm. Since then, there's lots of blogs and websites now that do review Australian books, some of them exclusively and some of them Australian books along with everything else. Um, And that's great. I actually don't think... Oh dear, other people have taken my idea because I don't think it was just my idea. I don't think I was that clever. <laughs> but um, I think it's really wonderful because when I started reviewing online, the internet was new and more than one time pe- people sort of said to me, oh yeah, well, internet reviews are irrelevant. I Only uh, print reviews and reviews in esteemed journals, they're the relevant ones mm. and what you're doing is just a bit of fun. Mm. And I actually think now that there is a really widespread acceptance that a blog or a website is actually a great place and a great forum for reviewing books because it puts those reviews at readers' fingertips. Wonderful. Um, 30 books, seriously. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> and, and, and in all that, you say that some get uh, rejected. So you must be very prolific. Does it? How long does it take? What's the gestation period or the, the, the life of a book for you? Um, how long's a piece of string? <laughs> <laughs> yes. uh, some books, I suppose, are very quick. For example, I suppose my early readers, which are, might in, in total be a couple of hours' work and actually might go from the process of me getting the idea, submitting it to a particular series, being accepted and being published you know, in six months. Uh, but that's really unusual. Others have taken months and sometimes years to actually go through that process. Mm. So, for example, um, if I was writing a verse novel, the first draft might be written over a couple of weeks. Mm. Then it will need resting time, which is where I try and put it away and forget about it. <laughs> then uh, rewriting time, and then I might put it aside again, and and then eventually it'll be ready to submit. Whereas, say, a picture book, and I've spoken about this already, it might actually be in my head for quite a while before I start writing. So it'll rattle around in my head and I'll tweak the idea and I'll start thinking about words and character names. And then when I actually sit down to write it, the first draft will be written in one setting Mm. and then the actual fine-tuning takes ages. So, yeah, it really varies quite a lot and I do usually have more than one project on the go. Mm. So at the moment, for example, um, I've got another verse novel which I've actually written the whole first draft and that actually first draft was written in, in an afternoon. The idea came to me and rattled, rattled around in my head for a couple of days and I actually talked about it with my children, which is unusual. Um, mm. But I threw, the, I threw the idea around a little bit and then I sat down and I wrote it in one sitting and I've now put that aside mm. and then I'm working on my young adult novel, which I'm on to the second draft, but it's still uh, got a long way to go. Mm. And at the same time, I'm researching a picture book idea. I've got ideas for a short story and I've got a couple of other picture book ideas brewing. Mm. So I have lots of things on the go. But having said that, I don't tend to jump around from story to story. So 
I give, I try to give one project precedence until I've got it either completed or to a point where it actually needs resting. So at the moment, my young adult novel is number one project. Mm. If I have time to write in my day, I make sure I do some work on that before I do anything else. Otherwise, what could easily happen is I could have lots of half stories Mm. that didn't ever get finished. So do you have a writing routine then? Do you have a ritual that you do every morning or, or, (laughs) you know? (laughs) Describe your writing day to us. Okay. Well, the first thing is, if I ever talk to beginning writers, I always say, you really should try to write every day. Mm-hmm. And then I confess that that actually doesn't happen for me. <laughs> uh, I, I actually, I work a day job three days a week. Right. So on those what days, do you do? I um, act, actually was a teacher, mm-hmm. but I'm actually running what's called a resource centre, which is a thing we have in country towns where people can come and use the internet and access government services, mm-hmm. uh, do their photocopying, and we do training courses. Mm-hmm. So it sort of uses my teaching background, but it's actually uh, just a nice nine-to-five people-contact kind of a job. Mm. So I suppose going back to the question, the days that I work my day job, it isn't always possible for me to actually do any writing. Mm. Sometimes if an idea comes to me, I'll scribble it down at work, don't tell my boss, <laughs> even I'm married to him. <laughs> Um, uh, but if I'm on a project, then I'll, I'll try and grab some time in the night if there's a possibility when the kids are asleep or organised. Um, but on the days that I'm at home, I do make a point of writing every day and I actually do try to have a routine and I've found over the last 12 months where I've gone into a three-day job, whereas before it was only a day and a half, I've actually had to be more strict on most days that I'm at home and use that time. Mm. So... I try to set up a, a pattern that gives me about four hours of writing time on those home days. Mm. Though some days it might be a lot less, I, I, I admit. Um, what I do is I do tend to write uh, in snatches, as I've said, but I try and set aside a dedicated writing time. So on a writing day, I'd get the kids off to school. I try and clear the decks with any housework that has to be done. Um, I'll check my email. I'll check that my could Facebook take forever. <laughs> it could do, because, but I'm not, a, I'm not a wonderful housewife, I have to admit. And I, can do, and I also am doing that while the kids are up in the morning mm. and around. So I try and do that when there's people in the house as much as possible. And then I try to get the distractions out of the way. So I, I read my emails, I empty my inbox, I check my Facebook, I check my Twitter... <laughs> So that I'm not thinking, oh, I wonder if anyone's, you know, talked to me on Twitter today. And then I start writing. But I also set myself a time to start writing so that I'm not allowing myself to just keep on with those distractions and never get into the writing. So I usually say, all right, at half past 10, I'm going to be at my desk and I'm going to be writing. And I try to stick to it. And then once I start writing, I do take breaks, so if I write up to four hours, I'm obviously not just sitting there writing non-stop for four hours. I generally write until I find myself sitting there going, mm, now what am I going to say next? When my fingers stop moving, I'll generally stop and I might have a cup of coffee and read a chapter of my book or I might check my Facebook again <laughs> or you know, answer emails or whatever else needs to be doing. Sometimes I might get up and hang out a load of washing if I really think I have to, mm. um, and then I get back to it. But, but that is my writing time. Mm. And if I do get really stuck, then I might actually work on something else. So I might work on an, another project. I might pick up something that needs revising. I might prepare something to send off to a publisher, or I might read so that I'm still in the working zone, 
but not just banging my head against the computer monitor. <laughs> so you said that one of the challenges in the big picture is just getting published, but how about in the day-to-day writing? What's your biggest challenge there? Do you ever get writer's block or do you ever get stuck? What What do you find difficult about the actual writing process? I don't, wouldn't say I get writer's block as in I ever run out of ideas, mm. but I do, I probably start to second guess myself sometimes and think, gee, is this any good? Um, I'm, I've been a chronic one for putting something in the mail and then thinking, why did I submit that? Maybe I shouldn't have submitted that. And even with Pearl vs. the World, which has been my most successful book, mm. and um, I sent it to Walker Books and then I just thought, oh, they're just going to think I'm such an idiot when they read that. They're going to think, what's she doing wasting our time? You know, mm-hmm. and they accepted it. So, so you know, I suppose there's a, an element of confidence. Mm. Um, but I actually think in a way it's better to, to lack a little bit of confidence and actually make sure that you don't submit things too quickly than what I used to do in the old days was basically I'd sit at my typewriter, I'd write it, I'd put it in an envelope and I'd send it, um, which is probably why it took me so long to get published because I didn't understand that your first draft is a first draft. It has to be a first draft and there has to be many other drafts before it's actually ready to submit. Mm. So I I find the rewriting process a big challenge Mm. because like a lot of people, when I write something, I'm generally in love with it because (laughs) otherwise I wouldn't have given it my time. And it is hard to actually then sit down and work out what's wrong with it and fix it and rewrite. Mm. And, you know, that fear of if I take this paragraph out, it's lost forever, (laughs) Um, (laughs) that kind of you know, we, we we can be precious about our words and we don't want to waste our words. Yes. So, yeah, the rewriting process and, and yeah, that self-confidence, I suppose, are my challenges. Has have any of your books ended up vastly different, like significantly different to the first draft as a result of feedback from the publisher? Um, one has, although I have to say it hasn't actually been published. Mm-hmm. I had a book that I wrote specifically for banana books Mm. they had a series which was actually my first trade book was published in that series and it was the series was banana splits and it was two quite short stories in one book back to back so the kids could flip the book over and read the second story and I wrote two little stories that have been 3,000 words each Mm. uh, and they did continue on from each other although they were self-contained and By the time I'd finished writing them, I thought, no, there's two more stories, so I was going to write number three and four, and, of course, they were going to accept them and publish them, and that was going to be great. And before I'd submitted them, the publisher actually went out of business. Oh. And I had these two stories that were, you know, didn't have a place to go. Mm. So I actually sat down and wrote the other two, Mm. and I thought, that's all right. Yeah, it's four stories. I'll be able to submit them somewhere else. And I think I actually did try to get them published. And then Banana Books... Went, came back into business, right. but I now had four stories. So I actually submitted them like that, mm. and the publisher came back, or the editor actually came back, and she said, look, we really like these, but there's quite a lot of work needed to make them a cohesive whole. Right. So from being two little 3,000-word stories, it eventually became 33,000 words, which is the longest thing I've ever mm. written, although my young adult novel will be longer. Mm. Um, and... Uh, it completely changed. It became for an older age group. I wrote some graphic novel elements into the story. Uh, yeah, it certainly became quite a different story based on trying to fit it into what they wanted. Unfortunately, Banana Books went broke a second time. Okay. 
<laughs> so if anyone's looking for a wonderful <laughs> book with graphic novel elements for upper primary, I still have it. <laughs> so how did you feel as an author um, when it became so different to your original intention? Um, I think at the time, and often during the editing process, I'll say, can you do this or can you do that? And I'll think, no, I usually say, yes, of course I can. Mm. But once I'm off the phone or, or away from the computer, I think, no, I can't actually do that. You know, I'm, and, and it's part of, partly self-confidence and partly it's, you know, that's my story. Mm. Um, but often when I make the changes, I think, yes, they're right. Very occasionally, uh, and not necessarily with that book, but very occasionally I've actually argued not to make changes. Mm. But I don't say, no, I'm not going to change it. I say, look, this is why. And sometimes I'm right. Mm. And sometimes I'm then convinced the other way that, no, I'm wrong. But, mm. And this is why. So generally I think the publisher or the editor isn't really the enemy. They actually want to sell your book well mm. just as much as you want to sell your book well. Mm. So if they're asking you to make changes, there's usually a pretty good reason. Mm. And um, so I do try very hard to be a good author and not be too precious and too <laughs> throw my weight around. But, yeah, as I said, occasionally um, I wrote a rhyming picture book and the editor came back and there was a suggested change which didn't come directly from the editor. It went to the editor, the publisher. The publisher spoke to me and the change really made a forced rhyme. It changed the story uh, and, and it was just ridiculous and I cried because I just thought, oh. I'm not putting that in my book. There is no way I'm having a book with... And I actually felt strongly enough that if that change had gone in, mm. I was going to pull the book because... Wow. It, because it is a, in a rhyming book, you don't put a word in just to make, just just for the sake of having a rhyme there. Mm, so mm. the problem was that I'd used a word that they thought was too hard for the market and was only a partial rhyme. Mm. The suggested change was just ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> and I, mean, I have to be careful because I've only written one rhyming book. <laughs> so it might be easy to work out what would be a which book it was. Um, but the change, I think what had happened was the editor had said, she's got to take this word out, how about this? Whereas I took it as they were just going to change my book and it was going to be terrible. <laughs> um, but what I actually did was after I sort of cried and stomped my feet a bit, which I don't, as I said, I did that in private so they didn't know I was doing it. <laughs> I then sat down and wrote an email and said, look, I'm really adamant that I don't want that change, but I have thought about it and, and I actually came up with a solution. I came up with a better change. Right. And I said, you know, what about this one? They accepted it. And then when that book was published and uh, at its launch, I had someone else read it aloud. I thought, yes, that works really well. Mm. So again, they were right. They were trying to make the book better. They mm. weren't trying to ruin my book or ruin my life. <laughs> at the time, that it sort of very briefly, it felt like the world was against me because they wanted to do something silly. <laughs> but in retrospect, I don't really think that they wanted to ruin the book. I think there was a suggestion that I just didn't want to happen. Mm. But I came up with a solution that worked for both of us. And so out of those 30 books, um, were there any that were milestones for a particular reason, either because, you know, you just really warmed to them in some way or they were the result of a difficult process? Or were there any that sort of stand out for, for any of those reasons? I think um, there's probably three that I could mention. Mm. The floating is frog because... I'd always wanted to write a, a picture book mm -hmm. and that was my first picture book and it was hardcover and it was beautifully illustrated and 
you know, that was a big moment was mm. to hold what I'd always imagined myself writing. Mm-hmm. And then Pearl versus the World, which yep. I'd always, from the time I read my first, the first, the first time I read a first novel, uh, which was Jinxed by Margaret Wilde, I thought, wow, that's an amazing book. I want to do that one day. And I didn't even know they were called verse novels then, but um, I, I hadn't come across the form before. But I just thought, wow, this is incredible. So I started reading more verse novels, and I always knew that one day I would write one. Mm. But in actual fact, when I wrote Pearl, I didn't actually think, right, today I'm going to write a verse novel. Uh, it, the book actually started to come to me in verse, and so I wrote it down and then realised it was actually a book, not just little poems. Right. And But it, that was, a, I suppose, a big milestone because uh, up until then, I'd written a lot of books for series. I'd written a lot of books that were just happy and lots of fun. Mm. And when I wrote Pearl, it was it was a serious book, although kids read it and laugh, which is good. Mm. Um, so it, it was a big change in direction for me. And uh, it's certainly the book, I suppose, that, that's changed my life in terms of uh, media attention and, and awards and those sorts of things. So it has been uh, a huge thing and probably a once-in-a-lifetime book in that way. And the other one I think that's special that I should mention is Snowy's Christmas, which is my third picture book. Mm. And it's special because I actually got to do it with my brother-in-law, so he was actually my illustrator. Right. And uh, uh, a bit of a testament, I think, to the power of networking. And I I tell people networking is important, and then I see people network and I cringe because networking is not going up to publishers at conferences and saying, I want to be published. No. Uh, <laughs> you know, and networking is something that happens as to me as a sort of a natural process because you are involved in the industry, you do go to conferences, you do take opportunities, but it doesn't happen because you walk up to people and say, hey, you know, you should publish me. Um, Especially if in, they're in the ladies' loo or something like that. That's right. So, so when I tell the story of how Snowy was accepted, I always think, oh, no, these poor, these poor publishers, because I had got to know Lindsay Knight, the children's publisher at Random House, through going to conferences. And we'd actually, I think we're friends, you know, we'd, we'd set up quite a nice, you know, we'd always say hello, we'd always chat. Um, and I went to a breakfast at a conference and Lindsay, I must say, I was sitting down first. Mm-hmm. Lindsay came in and came and sat with me. Right. And then my brother-in-law, David, who uh, at the time wasn't published as an illustrator but was an aspiring illustrator, he came in and obviously he came and sat with us because I'm sister-in-law. And over the course of the breakfast when we were talking to Lindsay and we were talking about actually courage in the town I live in, she said, oh, you so should write a book about that. You should write it. He should illustrate it. And I sort of thought, <laughs> oh, is she just sort of saying that yes. because, you know, we're, we're having a nice time of rips? And it really worried me afterwards. I thought, <laughs> if I don't take this opportunity, I'm missing an opportunity. If I take this opportunity, I look like one of those mad networky people that just thinks, yeah, I should take everything you say as gospel and, yes. and you know, I should follow you around into the ladies' loose. Yes. <laughs> so I did... Um, Later on in the conference, we talked again in you know, just a casual chat. And I said, oh, you know, David and I were quite like taken by that idea. And she said, oh, no, I was serious. And I said, oh, okay, you were serious. But then I still actually, when I got home, um, emailed and said, look, do you want to see this story? Mm-hmm. Uh, because I still was a little bit, you know, unsure whether it was just a, a moment in passing. Yes. Now, I wrote, I wrote the story. Mm-hmm. David did some sample illustrations and I sent it in. And she came back and, and she actually didn't accept that story because what she really wanted was a Christmas story. Oh, right. Okay. And, 
And she came back and said, you know, is there any way you can put Christmas into this story? And I said, well, no, but as it happens, I've got this Christmas story that I wrote several years ago that I've never submitted anywhere. Would you like to see that? And she said, yes, and she accepted it. So, and... and <laughs> And got David to illustrate it. So it was a direct result of going to a conference. Yes. But as I said, I I think when I started going to conferences and things that I actually ex- hoped that it would lead to publishing opportunities and I probably was guilty of carrying a manuscript around in my bag. So I never <laughs> went up to anyone and said, please read this. Um, and those opportunities do happen, but they don't happen through forcing them. They happen yes. through time. They happen through showing people that you are professional. That's exactly um, right. And, you know, you have to invest time and, unfortunately, money. And a lot of people say, oh, I can't afford to go to these conferences or these festivals. They're too expensive. And it does cost you money and it, it might be years and years and years before you see any return on that money. Yeah. But, you know, if you're serious, you need to get involved in the industry. You need to build relationships. That's mm. how, that's 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 the most important thing out of networking, and then yeah, something yeah, comes definitely. out of the relationships. Yeah. yeah, and those relationships aren't always they're not always with say a publisher. So mm. I've I've been going to the Children's Book Council. It's a, a national conference. I've been going to that. I think this year would be my fifth one. Mm. And one of the key relationships I've formed at those conferences is actually with two writing friends who I met at the first one and we've now become sort of each other's very close writing buddies. Now, I wouldn't say that that's, you know, made me money or whatever, but those friendships are just so valuable as friends, you know, Um, and it certainly has kept me going and they're the the people that I email and say, I got rejected again and I'm never going to write again and they say, oh, don't be stupid, of course you are, (laughs) Um, you know, and, and we do the same for each other. We celebrate each other's successes and I mean, I don't know if that's networking as such because we're friends much more than you know. Mm. Well, it's about relationships, as, as you said. But it, yeah. Mm. Now, on a final note, what would your advice be for budding children's authors out there? I suppose the same as I'd give any writer of mm-hmm. any genre. Mm-hmm. You need to read, and you need to read more than you write, and you actually need to spend more time reading than you do writing. So if you want to write for children, you have to read children's books. Mm. You have to read lots of children's books and they have to be new releases. And if you're writing in Australia, they have to be new releases from Australian publishers. Mm. So don't read the books that you read when you're a child. Oh, yeah, certainly you can read them, but don't read those as an example of the sort of books you're going to write. Mm. Um, And don't write the books that you loved when you were a child. A lot of people make the mistake of thinking, I'm going to be the next Dr. Zeus. Mm. You're not going to be the next Dr. Zeus. Dr. Mm. Zeus is Dr. Zeus. Mm. And if you're going to copy what he did, then you won't get published because his books are still around. Mm. Or they think, I'm going to be the next Enid Blyton. Well, <laughs> Enid Blyton was, was a very talented and lovely lady and kids still love her book. But mm. if you write like, like Enid Blyton, you won't get published. No. Um, so you need to read what's actually being published. Mm. You need to know what kids are like today and then you need to write for today's kids. Mm. Wonderful. And on that note, thank you very much for your time today, Sally. Thank you, Valerie. You've been listening to the Sydney Writers' Centre podcast on writers and writing. My name's Valerie Koo. You can find us online, including details about our courses, seminars and online learning, as well as information on our regular competitions where you can win books, movie tickets and literary experiences at www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au or visit me on my personal website, www.sydneywriterscentre.com.au. 
valeriekoo.com. That's valeriekoo, K-H-O-O.com. Thank you for listening.